All right, as the gentlemen hand out the handouts for this morning, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Glad you can be with us this morning here at Faith Baptist Church. We've begun a series in the book of Genesis, and we are at chapter 2 this morning. Genesis chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 4. As we come into our passage this morning, we remember that God, in the first account of creation that we have in Genesis 1, we're told that God created uh, everything, and then he blessed mankind and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then there was that ending Sabbath day that had no morning and no evening, and it leaves us with the thought that there is going to come a day of eternal rest. And so these foreshadowing things happen in the book of Genesis, and there's a ton of them. And uh, so we finished there, and we begin this morning with a look at what is God's purpose for humanity? What is God's purpose for humanity. What we have in Genesis chapter 2 is not a different telling of the creation story, but rather a, a honing in on day 6 as to what went on in day 6 as we see a more intimate creation of man. What is God's purpose for humanity? Other religions have different purposes for mankind. Uh, evolution has none. They rely on philosophers to try to come up with meaning for man. But for Christians, we find very early on here God's purpose for humanity and his plan that he's going to fulfill through the ages. A new section of Genesis begins here. We note this because of the phrase, these are the generations. That phrase is used to break up the book of Genesis into different sections the section that we are currently going to be looking at ends uh, at the end of chapter 4. So it runs through chapter, the beginning of chapter 5. And we also note here a new section because of the change from just simply God, in the Hebrew El, uh, to the Lord God. And when you see Lord in all capital letters, that's his covenant name, Yahweh. So we have Yahweh El. Lord God. First chapter, it was just all God. Now it's Lord God. So we just note those changes. Those are literary clues for us that this is a new section. And uh, we begin there, Genesis 2 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This, again, is not a separate story of creation, but one that helps us to see the creation of man and woman and their giving them purpose in this world, uh, their place in this world. So let's dive into this new section, see if we can find God's purpose for humanity here and throughout the scriptures. Man and woman are created with a purpose. Man, we see, is created 
to work the ground. We find this in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 7. Uh, there's a need for a man to serve the Lord God in his cosmic temple. And his cosmic temple is a way of referring to the earth. In other words, out of all the universe, the earth is the place where God has chosen to make, him, make himself known and be worshipped in the physical universe. Genesis 2, verse 5. says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now we know from the original account of creation in Genesis 1, there, are, there is vegetation but I would say this is not cultivated vegetation that is what it's being spoken of here. It says, when no bush of the field, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. There were plants that needed to be cultivated and managed by a human, and that guy didn't exist yet. And so we just have vegetation, grass, and that type of thing that's covering the land. The Lord God brings life here to his image bearer by breathing on him. He breathes on him the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And then the Lord creates a bountiful place for man to dwell and for God to dwell with man. Look at verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God plants this garden. We find that it has trees in there. And uh, you'll note uh, that there's... there's a phrase there, every tree is described as pleasant to the sight and good for food. And Lord willing, when we reach Genesis 3.6, we're going to see that Eve's evaluation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the same, except there's one other characteristic that's added. The tree was desired to make one wise. In other words, all the trees, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, were pleasant to the sight and good for food. But there was one thing distinct there. We see that. We see also, uh, it says, the Lord, uh, there's some early clues to some symbols that are going to be found uh, throughout the scriptures. God is directionally west in the scriptures. God is directionally west in the scriptures. Uh, it says in, at the beginning of verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. Okay, so, so if we think of God directionally as west, I'm facing north, so this is west. I'm, I'm directionally challenged, but I thought this through in my mind before the sermon. Okay? So God's dwelling place, positionally in the scriptures, is western. He plants a garden in the east. He takes man out of the wilderness and brings him to the garden. 
closer to him. We'll see those themes. God bringing man out of Egypt into the promised land. These different things that are repeated. We see in the temple, the Holy of Holies is in the westernmost portion of the temple. So as the priest approaches God, he goes directionally from east to west. So moving westward, typically moving closer to God, eastward, that's a bad thing in the scriptures. We're going to find that Adam and Eve are kicked out east of the garden. When Cain leaves, he moves to the east and he makes cities that way. All right, so the further east you go, the further from God you go. So the Lord God here has created a bountiful place to dwell with man, a temple area, if you will. God dwelling with man is typically considered a temple-like place. So he's created this bountiful place to dwell with man. But then we see more than just the Garden of Eden. There remains a big world that lacks settlement. Look at verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So while the garden is flourishing, there are four rivers that are surrounding the regions nearby. These regions are supplied with water but remain undeveloped. There are precious metals and stones that can be mined to make God's temple area beautiful. God's initial forming and filling of the universe is to be continued throughout the earth by man. We must remember the blessing of God upon the humans from chapter 1. God said, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So the scene here includes the Garden of Eden and extends to undeveloped lands that need to be cultivated and settled by man. Then God provides purpose and provision here. And to to continue the alliteration, with a prohibition. Triple word or quadruple word score for pastors. God provides purpose and provision with a prohibition. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Man is to work and keep the Garden of Eden. These two verbs were used together later in the scriptures to describe the duties of the Levites in guarding and maintaining the temple. Now we have to remember that the scriptures were written to a different audience than us. Who were they written to? Well, Moses put these together, right? He wrote these. That's coming as they're coming out of Egypt And they're building the temple. He's receiving the instructions on building the temple, right? So that audience would be familiar with this phrase, to work and keep. When they're used together in the scriptures, they're used to describe the duties of the Levites who are guarding and maintaining the temple area. 
So we have clues here that Eden is a temple-like place. And God has provided provision for Adam as he does his work for God to expand God's kingdom purposes. We find this also, as Jesus promised us in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, food and clothing he's spoken of. God provides for his workers. Man here is taken out of the earth and placed into Eden where he is to care for and expand it until the earth is filled with God's glory. But he needs help to expand God's garden. To do this, he must multiply, right? I don't know if you've seen the commercial with the, I think it's a progressive commercial where the the people are talking about their new house and they said there's only one problem, we have ants. You know, it's A-U-N-T-S, ants. And one of the ants walks by and she, she puts her finger on a shelf and she said, that's a lot of house, hope you can keep it clean, right? And I imagine Adam is standing there and he knows he's got this mandate to fill the earth and he's looking out over this thing and he's like, man, this is a lot for one guy to do. So he needs help. And we find here the first thing in the creation account that that mentions it's not good. Genesis 2.18 Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a... A helper fit for him. So who would this helper be? Well, now we have the parade of animals that have been created, and they're brought before Adam for him to name and to have dominion over. Genesis 2.19, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Imagine as the animals are coming to Adam, he's, he's starting to realize something, right? He says, okay, that's Mr. and Mrs. Bird, and that's Mr. and Mrs. Bee, and that's Mr. and Mrs. Rabbit. Huh, I'm Mr. Adam. Where's my missus, right? So there's no one that's a helper fit for him to help him multiply upon the earth. So in Genesis 2.21, we see a procedure performed on Adam. The first surgery is done. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, finally, right? At last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife And they shall become one flesh. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll talk more about this passage. It's much quoted in the New Testament. And we'll talk about marriage some more. But Adam was taken out of the ground. And so the ground in the Hebrew is uh, Adama. And so his name is Adam. 
Here, a different word for man is used, ish, and the Hebrew word for woman, isha. She shall be, she's brought out of him. And Matthew Henry has a great quote, uh, you know, that he's taken from her side. She is his equal. And uh, you can look that up and read it. It's, uh, it's a good thing. But we won't, don't have time for that this morning. We want to get through these things. But Adam just breaks out into praise. Hallelujah. This is the best looking woman I've ever seen. Right? <laughs> But notice verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Sin had not entered the world. There was no need for shame. They're at peace with one another in this new creation. They trust one another. There was no fear of being taken advantage of by the other. No fear of being abused. There is peace. So the Lord God's kingdom plan is to fill and form his creation through his son and his son's bride. Okay, The Lord God's kingdom plan is to fill and form his creation through his son and his son's bride. Now, Adam and Eve, and they're not called Adam and Eve here, but they will be in the next chapter. Adam and Eve's failure to fulfill God's purpose for them did not change God's plan. I want us to note a few major points regarding God's kingdom plan in this story because God knows the end from the beginning. And he's got a plan here, and he's going to see it fulfilled. But he is foreshadowing things. Now, what do we mean by foreshadowing? Well, these are, these are shadows of things that are going to happen in the future, and they're pointing to Jesus Christ and God's plan for the future. So when you follow a shadow... You find the substance. If you follow my shadow, you would find this substance. Okay, And we're told in the New Testament that all the shadows of the Old Testament are find their resolution or their substance in Christ. So some things for us to note about God's kingdom plan in this story. The Lord God brings life to his image bearers by breathing on them. Number one. The Lord God provides a temple-like base of operations where he meets with his image bearers. Outside this base is a world that needs to come under God's dominion. In order to bring that world under God's reign, God needs a, uh, God's son needs a bride to fill his new creation with image bearers. And the son and his bride will live unashamed in the new creation. So God's kingdom plan ultimately finds fulfillment in and will be accomplished by Christ and his bride. You see, God's kingdom plan is to fill the new creation through Jesus and the church. I want you to know this morning, Christian, as a new creation in Christ, you have been placed into the church to care for and expand it across the world until Christ returns and brings about the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? I want you to, let me read that again. I want you to know, as a new creation in Christ, you've been placed into the church to care for and expand it across the world until Christ brings about the new heavens and the new earth. Let's look now at how disciples of Jesus are created with a purpose. Look to John chapter 20, verse 21. 
This is after the resurrection. Jesus appears to his disciples. And this is John's summation story of the Great Commission. And he couches it in creation language. And if you go back to the beginning of the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I mean, all this Genesis language, and then the very first miracle that Jesus does, where does he do it? At a wedding, right? At a wedding. And there's a bridegroom who hasn't fulfilled his duty. There's a lack of wine, and he provides. And it moves through, okay? It moves through. But he appears to them. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you into the world. Okay? Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And this is where church membership comes in. You, you believe in Christ, God saves you, but there's a church that should come along and affirm your, uh, your confession of faith, right? Did you, were you really saved? We would confirm that, okay? Jesus' disciples here are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his image bearers in this world, to share his gospel as we've been covering in Sunday school. So Jesus brings life and purpose to his image bearers. And then God provides a temple base of operation where he meets with his image bearers. The gathered church is God's temple base of operation where he meets with his image bearers. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the Spirit indwells each of you, but something special happens when we gather together as a church. God's presence dwells among us. It's why there's nothing like this moment, believers. We can record this service, and we can watch it, but it'll never be what it was in this moment. Because in this moment, God is here with us in a special way. His Spirit indwells us, and His Spirit goes with us everywhere. He'll be with us everywhere. But when we gather here, we are a temple. God's presence is with us. It's why why gathering with the church is important. I hope that you can see that online church is not church. It's why it's important to physically be gathered. The gathered church is God's temple base of operations where He meets with His image bearers. But outside the gathered church is a world that needs to come under God's dominion. The Apostle Luke in Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, outside this church is a world that needs to come under God's dominion. 
Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We call people, repent. Turn away from your sins. And follow Jesus as your king. Outside this church is a world that needs to come under God's dominion. And God provides a bride to fill his new creation with image bearers. Ephesians 5, 29 through 32. Critical passage because here Paul reveals to us something that was a mystery that has now been revealed. It's no longer a mystery. It wasn't seen in the past, but now it is seen. And he wants us to pay attention to this. And he's talking to husbands and wives and how their marriages should be Christ-centered. But then he throws this in. Look at Ephesians 5, 29. And he's finishing up an argument there to the men. We care for our wives as ourselves. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then he quotes our passage this morning. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So God's plan was to foreshadow in Adam and Eve what was to happen with Christ and his church. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, I urge you, be a part of Christ's church. Be a part of the body of Christ. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. Don't reject it. God provides a bride for his son to fill his new creation with image bearers. Are you a member of a Bible-believing church? Have you submitted to the leadership of a church and, and to covenant with other believers to watch out for the spiritual health of your soul? It's that gathering point where God dwells with his people. Are you a member of a church? Have you covenanted in membership with a church? I urge you, join a church. It's good for your spiritual health. Next question, are you multiplying disciples? It doesn't matter if you're single or married or widowed. You can still multiply image bearers of Jesus Christ. Make disciples, right? Be telling others about Jesus Christ. Who's your one? We challenge you with that. Who's that one person that you're praying for on a regular basis? That God would give you opportunities to witness to. That God would save through your testimony. Who is that? Do you have someone? I'd encourage you. Have someone that you're praying for. That you can be a bold witness for. Because God's spirit is in you and he enables you to witness. You say, I'm afraid I'll muck it up. Oh, that happens. Good thing is the spirit's involved. Somehow, some way, he takes our feeble efforts And he opens the understanding of people. Are you multiplying disciples? Are you involved in disciple making? Just like a child that's born isn't ready for fixing food and feeding itself, so too new Christians need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need teachers. They need disciplers that are going to Disciple them. 
Are you involved in disciple making? You see, our purpose is to make disciples of all the nations. We can be involved in helping others grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be giving to support missions, just like we looked at Brother Garcia this morning and heard his report. We support him and pray for him. Pray for your church, your church leaders. Pray for those other missionaries that we support. Meet with other Christians to help them grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help oversee their spiritual lives. You need to be about your purpose, making disciples. Because one day, Jesus and his bride are going to live unashamed in the new creation. Look at Revelation 21. One day, Jesus and his bride will live unashamed in the new creation. Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Who is this bride? Well, she has 12, uh, 12 gates of the, uh, the uh, apostles and also the tribes of Israel. It's the believers of all ages, and she's dressed in the white robes of her righteous deeds. Symbolic imagery of believers coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride. Look down, Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God coming down to dwell on God's new creation with the Son. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit each month. How many months are there? Twelve. Smart as a whip, this congregation. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, no sea, no darkness, the undoing of the chaos. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see, one day Jesus and his bride will live unashamed in the new creation. Jonathan Gibson said this. I heard it in a a podcast episode that I was listening to. uh, I believe it's in the newsletter this week. So you can listen to it too. But he made this observation about marriage in the book of Revelation. He says, in Genesis 1 and 2, we find God's kingdom in a new creation under his son and bride awaiting the Sabbath rest. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we find God's kingdom in a new creation under his son with a capital S and bride enjoying a Sabbath rest. One day it's going to come to completion, folks. And we'll be with Jesus for eternity.
And we will have no reason to be ashamed because Jesus paid it all. Adam and Eve were created and placed into Eden to care for and expanded until the whole earth was filled with the Lord God's image bearers. They failed, but God's original plan or original mission for Adam and Eve simply foreshadowed Christ and his church and the new creation. Adam and Eve failed, but God's mission did not. So what is God's purpose for humanity? God's kingdom purpose for humanity is to fill the new creation through Jesus and the church. What is your part in God's plan? What are you doing to make disciples, to multiply disciples? Or do you just reject God's plan? You're not going to come under his reign and his rule. I urge you this morning, fulfill your purpose by participating in God's plan. As a new creation in Christ, you have been placed into the church to care for and expand it across the world until Christ brings about the new heavens and the new earth. Are you fulfilling your purpose in Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you will... Open our eyes this morning. Help us to understand why you have created us and what your kingdom plan is for this earth. I pray that your people would be about your business in making disciples and multiplying your image bearers throughout this world. And we look forward to King Jesus returning and living at peace with him in that eternal Sabbath rest. But until that day, Lord, may we be about your work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.